Hi, thank you for joining us here at the Collective Social Network Live, where we talk to grassroots candidates that are running for some lesser known offices across the nation. Uh, today we're joined by Namrata Sabramanyan Nam, who is uh, running for Texas District uh, 147 and State Representative. Nam, thank you so much for being on with us. Yes, thank you for having me. Uh, that, I, I just want to say, you know, right off the bat, thank you uh, for taking the time. I know the election's only about a month away, um, and uh, you're running in Texas, which is, you know, not necessarily known for its progressive uh, mm -hmm. politics, uh, let alone uh, or even uh, blue uh, politics. Uh, but you're running in the Houston area as an educator with a background in public health and, mm -hmm. and economics. Um, and with a strong emphasis on, on education. Mm -hmm. um, you know, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, your community and why uh, you decided that this was the time for you to step into this race? Definitely. So, yeah, I mean, the community in this district is one of the most diverse districts in Texas, and it's a majority minority district. So huge Latino and black population and also a very significant Asian population. On top of that, of talking about intersectionality, there's a huge queer population with Montrose being one of like the queer capitals in the nation. And our district covers most of Montrose as well. So very, very diverse district, very young district. The median age is about 32. And I just thought, you know, if any time now is a time for someone like me to be running in this kind of seat, someone who's young, someone who's progressive, and, you know, someone who's a minority as well, who just believes that our district deserves just as progressive representation as other diverse districts in our state. On top of that, I just felt a very large sense of urgency as a teacher. It was actually during a civics lesson with my students. I'm a math teacher, but you know, I like to insert civics and justice into the math lessons because I mean, I just believe students need to come out of the classroom being critical thinkers and understanding, you know, how the dynamics of the world affect them and their daily lives. And we had a lesson on civics where I had them write a letter to their local state representative about something they wanted to see changed. And I was very impressed by the things they were coming up with because there are things that, you know, have been around for so long, right? And issues that have only been perpetuated longer and been more hard on our society because of the COVID pandemic and other, you know, very, very big events happening um, that are just making these inequities even worse. But, you know, my students were coming up with things like raising minimum wage, because a lot of them work 20 to 30 hours a week on top of being, you know, full-time students at school because they needed to support themselves or their and their families. A lot of them talked about how unfair it was that they weren't able to qualify for Medicaid. Their families weren't able to qualify for Medicaid. They talked about being criminalized at schools, the school to prison pipeline, and why Why do we have police officers on campus all the time when their friends in wealthier schools didn't have that police presence? Why do they have to walk through metal detectors when that's not common, you know, in across schools in the state and country? And so just hearing them talk about these issues, I was like, now, it, there was a huge sense of urgency instilled in me. And a lot of my students were realizing, you know, how pressing these issues are becoming and that now is the time to do something. And one of my students during that lesson was like, Ms. Nam, have you ever considered running for office? And that's sort of what spurred, you know, this thought process of what kind of office I thought I would be best fit for. Which, you know, I ended up on state representative. Every day after teaching, I would come home and I would just do research on what was happening in our legislature. Because I just felt, you know, even the more Democrat and liberal representatives, a lot of them accept corporate money. Um, and they're just not voting 
truly in the interest of the people. It's very rare to see a grassroots candidate who is not accepting corporate money and is just truly trying to bring representation, you know, not someone who's a career politician. And I just think now is the time to have, you know, a fresh, young, new progressive perspective in the House, especially with all of the crazy things that happened in the legislature last session. Wow. Um, thank you um, for sharing that and for, for articulating so clearly the, the urgency, um, you know, that our schools are facing. Um, I myself also work in a, in a school as a teacher assistant, so mm -hmm. always look to teachers for uh, their wisdom and guidance uh, in the classroom. But it's interesting, uh, you know, it's an amazing story. Your students encouraging you to run for office, um, you know, and I think that uh, also very similarly, uh, a lot of the so-called uh, leftist, progressive, pie-in-the-sky uh, solutions, uh, you know, seem so reflexive to, to younger people, to our students, uh, when you try to govern a society based on compassion and uh, best intentions. Um, it's, uh, it's come so easily to, to students when they think about the solutions uh, to the problems that our society faces. Uh, to that note, you know, schools, uh, especially, you know, in Chicago, as well as across America, have faced a, a lot of privatizing efforts. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in the 90s, we had, you know, like the kind of scholastic boom with a lot of, uh, you know, the selling, uh, you know, uh, uh, merchandise to, to students. And now we have a lot of ed tech solutions uh, that just kind of hope that, you know, pumping data into some kind of algorithm will give parents the perfect solution uh, to their students. Uh, but um, uh, just baseline, one of the things that we've struggled with in Chicago, and I, I, I wonder how, you know, it must be in Houston um, or the, what the AFT has been, the de uh, democratizing our schools. There's been a big push for more uh, parent choice uh, parent empowerment uh, mm -hmm. from certain forces, but that tend to control a, a process to limit whose voices get empowered and where. Um, can you speak a little bit, you know, I, I'm seeing here that you've, uh, you support uh, HB 62, creating restorative justice, uh, you know, coordination councils, um, HB 404, you know, exempting certain uh, houseless students from paying tuition. Yeah. You know, uh, just really highlighting how our schools are the, the first entry point, you know, for, for society and the places uh, to fill these solutions, uh, you know, uh, what, what would be your grander vision, you know, uh, uh, what a school uh, community, a school building uh, should be doing uh, in, in Houston and in, uh, in District 47? Yeah, that is a loaded question. Education, there are so many ways to reform it. There are so many parts of education, right? We can talk about the intersection of the criminal justice system in education. We can talk about, you know, just the school level, investing in schools, investing in teachers, investing in students. And, you know, then we can talk about school choice, right? Because I think it comes down to this. Parents want the best for their students, right? And you can't blame them for wanting that. And unfortunately, our current public schools are just not it, right? And that's what's causing these increasing discussions about school choice. But what's unfortunate is, you know, charter schools just don't have the same um, ability to take on all kinds of students. Charter schools are not equitable in the students they accept. They take a certain group of students in and then at a certain point, once they receive their money, they kick them out because they, they're not able to 
to they don't have the resources to take on every student right and public schools we are taking on everyone right we take on students with disabilities we take on special education students we take on students with behavior issues and it just think it's very unfair for charter schools to get this funding and then not actually treat students equitably and i understand when parents want to put their kids in charter schools because they see that they're some of them are having better outcomes but I think it comes down to investing in our public school systems and making sure that, you know, our schools have the capacity to provide resources for all of our students, because I think that's what it comes down to. Our teachers are not getting paid equitably. And we're seeing that this year where with the stress of the COVID pandemic, how unsafe it is for both teachers and students at school, how stressful it is. I mean, I in the past couple of weeks have had to be a substitute teacher about like four or five times during my planning period. And already, as it is, the planning period isn't enough to actually, you know, do all the lesson plannings for the week and call parents and do the million things we need to do. And then on top of that, because of how short we are on teachers, because of COVID, because teachers are taking time off from the stress, which is all very valid, right? I've taken time off myself. It's, it's just really hard to keep up. And it comes down to, again, we're not paying teachers the wage for the amount of work they do. And our schools are, especially our low-income schools, are just not getting the funding, right? Um, I teach at a Title I school where most of the students live at the poverty line or below, and we just don't have the resources, right? We know that students who grow up in low-income settings are deal with a lot of trauma, right? Particularly students of color. And that trauma is going to show up in school, right? If something happened at home, you're not going to come in getting being ready to learn. And a lot of teachers at school aren't one trained to deal with students who face trauma and because we don't have the resources to do those kinds of trainings and on top of that the students don't have the resources at school to even deal with the trauma as well we have one social worker for five or six high schools um when our school has 2,000 students itself who i believe every one of them should be getting an hour of work like therapy or social work time every week and again it's just it comes down to the fact on how tight the resources are for the community and it's sort of a spiral, right? Teachers, good teachers come to these schools and get burnt out, right? Like I'm feeling that myself. It's very, very hard to teach in um, in, in an environment where you, you have all the worst things coming together, right? You have students who are very high needs and I love my students, right? They're my, they're my kids, they're my family, but I don't have the resources. I'm not equipped with the resources to be able to do justice to each and every one of them. And so one area I think is definitely investing in our public schools, making sure that the teachers are not overloaded with students, right? I have almost 200 students as, as a second year teacher. So I have students from, uh, and I, I got the highest need students, all of the, all of the um, classes they put to me because they're like, Nam knows how to deal with students who are high needs and students who have some things going on. And that's not fair to me either, you know, because it's when you have, it's different to have 50 kids that you can focus energy on versus 200. Mm -hmm. um, and so again, that's an intersection of a lot of different issues on the teacher level, the student level, and that mm -hmm. kind of ties to the restorative justice practices that I was talking about. Rep. James Tallarico has done a lot of great work proposing res the restorative justice agenda, which is a win-win for everyone because we know when we actually invest in students and address trauma, they're less likely to end up into the discipline system, right? And they're more likely to actually engage and feel safe and be productive at schools. And right now we just have this mentality in Title I schools where it's all about like criminalize, criminalize, punish, punish. 
you could have a rip in your jeans and you get sent to in-school suspension for the day and you just lost your day of learning because you had a rip in your jeans. And what kind of message are we sending to our students about that when, again, at the wealthier schools, that is not the case at all. Um, and so I just think that's one level of the inequity. Of course, there's also, I mean, again, I support a moratorium on charter schools. I believe that we need to be holding charter schools accountable and we need to make sure that we're truly investing in the public schools that serve all of our student populations. Um, and again, I understand where parents are coming from because everyone just wants the best for their kids, but it's just un really unfair when it's only the wealthier people that get to make that choice. And um, I just, I think that's very inequitable. Thank you. Um, you know, I don't. I don't want to take up your your home day. We we do kind of like like to make these um, into digestible bits for for more people on social media to watch the interview in full. Um, you know, I, and uh, you're running on a lot more than just public schools. You're, yeah, I see your criminal justice platform, very robust economic justice. You know, minimum wage and workers' rights, um, and also uh, environmental justice. Communities facing um, environmental impacts disproportionately. And yet, these do all seem to intersect within uh, school buildings and education. So, uh, you know, before we, we we let you go, do you you know want to let people know about how they can get involved, how they can help you, uh, you know, get your message out, and like how they can help you win next month in the election. Definitely. So, I mean, again, our campaign is people first and people powered, right? I'm running against a lot of career politicians, and really we are focusing on getting out in the community so one way if people are in the area and would love to help out we canvas every weekend usually from 1 to 5 p.m on saturdays and sundays but definitely sundays so if people are ever interested in coming out and coming door to door and knocking on the voters that's what we're dedicating most of our time to because again this is all about contacts with people and making sure that people's voices are truly heard of course, we always welcome monetary contributions. We know that to run a campaign, and I'm learning this increasingly, right? To run a campaign, we just need to have money. And thankfully, we've had so many great contributions, but we're relying on, again, this is a grassroots campaign. We are not getting like, you know, tens of thousands of dollars from these corporate packs like some of my opponents are. And we really are relying on just the people. So, you know, even a $5 contribution, whatever you're able to contribute goes a really long way. We invest our money in our people-powered campaign, in our volunteers, um, in getting materials like yard signs and just making sure that our name is heard. We have opportunities for phone banking. Um, again, if you're in the Houston area, writing postcards to voters. If Again, so go to nomfortexas.com. If you want to email us, connect at nomfortexas.com. If you're welcome, we welcome any help. And if you have a couple hours to spare, we will find something for you to do. So again, we, we welcome as much help as we can get in this people powered campaign because we just need to get the word out. Once we're out there in front of the voters, they see that there's another option, right? A lot of them are very limited to thinking, okay, there's only these people who are career politicians, but when they meet us at the door and our volunteers, they see, okay, Nam's a teacher. She knows what, you know, the challenges that our communities face and our students face, and she's truly fighting an honest fight. Um, so again, we're just doing our best to get in front of as many people in our area as possible and just spread our message. Awesome. Well, thank you, Nam, so much for being taking time with us. Um, here at One Collective Social Network Live, wishing the best of luck. Thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks.